While much valuable Christian literature from prior centuries has been republished in recent years, the particular Baptists have been largely ignored. Yet, their contributions in the areas of biblical exegesis, theology, history, and practical Christian living have much to offer today's church. The particular Baptists have always demonstrated a firm and faithful commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ, its proclamation to all the world, and the inspiration, inerrancy, and absolute authority of all of Scripture. We at Particular Baptist Heritage Books desire to champion this God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, word-centered legacy by producing high-quality, handcrafted, hard-cased editions of Particular Baptist works, which we hope will endure for generations to come. Particular Baptist Heritage Books is a nonprofit publishing ministry founded in connection with a local church. With the help from an advisory board consisting of Calvinistic Baptist pastors and scholars, we seek to preserve the history, theology, and relevancy of our particular Baptist forebears by publishing and promoting their most important literary works. Our mission is to glorify God and to strengthen His church by furnishing Christians with the very best of the particular Baptist literary heritage. And so we invite you, come and deepen your Baptist roots at www.particularbaptistbooks.com www.particularbaptistbooks.com You are listening to Preaching and Teaching on the Man of God Network of Podcasts. This resource combines expositional sermons and lectures from the classroom of Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary to help equip listeners for the work of the ministry. and the departure from our former church house at 1501 26th Street has brought many memories back to me. Maybe you don't know this one. Before we purchased 26th Street, we looked at a number of properties. We expressed considerable interest in one of them, but we were ultimately told by the charismatic church that owned that building that they would not sell to us because we did not believe in the Holy Spirit. Well, that was not true then, and it's not true tonight, and it's not true now. And I'm going to prove that to you tonight, because I want to bring you our third message on the great Trinitarian blessing of 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Uh, Please turn to that text, if you have uh, not already, and follow while I read the grand blessing it contains. May the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, let me begin again, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In our first message, after some words of introduction, we meditated on what what it might mean practically for us to take seriously allowing the love of the God, God the Father, to be with us all. Last week, we continued our meditations as we thought of what it means to have communion with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, Tonight we come to the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And I have three points this evening as we consider the fellowship of the Holy Spirit being with us all. 
We'll look at the significant activity of the third person in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The distinctive role of the third person. And then we'll look at the instructive order in which the third person is mentioned in our text. First of all, the significant activity of the third person of the Trinity in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. And the first thing I want to say is to have you kind of realize, at least it seems like this to me, having meditated on the text, the redundant appearance of that activity. When Paul says, let the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, he seems to utter a redundancy. He says something over again in a way that may seem to us superfluous. It appears to say the same thing over again. If you had a math teacher and he told you in your class that you were to draw triangles and he made sure that he told you that your triangle must have three sides, if you were a smart little kid, you would say, well, by definition, triangles have three sides. To say that your triangle must have three sides seems redundant or superfluous. But my point is that Paul here seems to do something similar. He says in his blessing, may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. But being with you all is exactly what fellowship means in the New Testament. It means sharing, partnership, participation, contribution. Being with you is exactly what fellowship implies. There is no fellowship without something or someone being with you. But but neither in the case of that mythical math teacher nor in the case of Paul do we have here unnecessary repetition. Paul does say something like, fellowship with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. But we should see this not as unnecessary repetition, but as necessary emphasis. And that brings me to my second sub-point under this first head, the peculiar character of that activity. Communicating the benefits, the spiritual benefits of redemption to us internally and subjectively is the distinctive and peculiar work of the Holy Spirit. It is in the Holy Spirit's activity that the Trinitarian works of God come to their fruition. This is true in the work of creation. God the Father creates through the eternal word. The Father is the author, the word is the accomplishment and plan. We read in Hebrews 1-2 in these last days, God has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. But what of the Holy Spirit? Well, he is the one who applies all of this immediately and internally to creation. His very name says this. Do you know what spirit means in the Bible? You know what synonyms for spirit are in the Bible? Life, energy, breath. And of course, it's used of our human spirits as well. That's what the word says. You can see how this makes his peculiar work the actual and intimate application of divine power to us inwardly, internally. Uh, I want to keep repeating words so you get the point. Experientially, subjectively, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings life internally and subjectively to creation. In the creation account, this is clear, where we see the Spirit moving on the face of the waters and about to implant life into creation. 
And we think of passages like Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath, the spirit, literally, of his mouth, all their host. Psalm 104, 30. You sent forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. It is the peculiar activity of the spirit to bring life and vitality into a dead creation according to the word of the Father. And his work in salvation, brothers and sisters, is similar. And that brings me to this, my third subpoint under this first head. The scriptural activity, exposition of that activity. In salvation, the Spirit's work is to take what has been planned by the Father and purchased by the Son and make it an experiential reality. Now, I've been trying to think of how to say this to you and how to illustrate it to you. Now, you've watched those movies in the old westerns where the guys come in after 45 days out on the ranch and they want a bath, right? They go into the bathhouse and they're sitting in the bathtub and the guys come in and how do they get the hot water into the bathtub? They keep getting buckets of hot water and pouring it in. I've got 12 buckets of hot water to pour on you tonight to give you a spiritual bath in the Holy Spirit. That's what I have. I mean that. And this is a short list of what the Holy Spirit is for us in our salvation. He is, first of all, the comforter. This word, comforter, is according to John Owen, at least, the foundation for the many other works of the Holy Spirit. He is <clears throat> the comforter, John fourteen twenty six. but the helper, also translated comforter sometimes, counselor sometimes. Sometimes the translators give up and just give you the Greek, uh, the Greek word paraclete. Uh, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. John fifteen twenty six. When the helper, or the paraclete, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. Now, both the New American Standard and ESVs, as you can see in your Bibles, translate this word parakletos as helper. But as I've mentioned, many translations have simply opted to say paraclete because this word is so hard to properly translate. Helper, I think, misses much of what the word implies. The word speaks of one who is a counselor and who sits maybe just very close to someone and, and he speaks to them intimately, quietly, perhaps, and speaks into their ear. This is someone called alongside of, literally. And so this idea of, of counselor picks it up. This idea of comforter, how do you comfort someone? You don't yell at them from across the room. You approach them, you put your arm around them, and you speak intimately and comfortingly to them. He is the comforter. And this, this translation, if you have to choose an English translation, is the one that seems to fit John 14, because you know how John 14 begins. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
This is the context of the use of comforter, parakletos, in John 14. He is the one who is the comforter. What I want you to get is this. Uh, Acts 9.31 speaks of this same thing, and I think uses the same root when it speaks of the churches going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. There is an emotional intimacy in Paraclete that makes clear that the Spirit's work is an inward, living, subjective, experiential, and internal, gracious reality. And so, second bucket of water, the Spirit is the Spirit of life, making men spiritually alive and vigorous. For the law, Romans 8, 2, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. 2 Corinthians 3, 6, the letter kills, but what? The spirit gives life. Titus 3, 5 speaks of the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Third bucket of hot water. He is the spirit of truth who teaches us the truth of the gospel. John 14, 17, that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. John 16, 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, 1 John 5, 6, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood, is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. Fourth thing, he is the Spirit of faith, giving men faith in the gospel. Acts 6, 5, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Acts 11.24, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. 2 Corinthians 4.13, but having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, and therefore I spoke. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit, and what follows from that, faith in the truth, 1 Peter 1.2, and many other passages. But we must go on. He is the spirit of wisdom who fills men and women with gospel wisdom. Acts 6.3, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom. Acts 6.10, They are unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. But a sixth thing, the spirit is the spirit of power. He is the one who enables men, enabling them to do the work of God. Acts 10.38, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. Ephesians 3.16 says that this applies to us too, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through the Spirit 
in the inner man. Seventhly, I always feel like a Puritan when I get this far. Seventhly, the Spirit is the Spirit of hope, giving men hope and joy through the gospel. Acts 13.52, and the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Romans 15.13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And on we could go with many texts. Eighthly, the Spirit is the Spirit of holiness, making men holy in heart and conduct. Romans 1.4, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 8.13, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And on we could go. He is the Holy Spirit, of course. And, ninthly, he is the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. He is the spirit who gives men assurance of their adoption and power to live it out properly. Romans 8, 15, for you have not received a spirit of slavery. See how this has to do with your feelings, with your internals, Right? You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. I think this is tenthly. The Spirit is the Spirit of love, giving us love for the brethren. Romans 15.30, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Philippians 2.1, parallel to our text. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ... If there's any consolation of love, the love of God the Father, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, and what immediately follows, if any affection and compassion, Colossians 1.8, Paul says that he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. Eleventhly, the Spirit is the one Spirit who unifies Christians for through him we both have ac our access in one spirit to the Father. Ephesians 4.3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Ephesians 4.4, 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as all you were called in one hope of your calling. Many other texts. Twelfthly and lastly, the spirit is the spirit of prayer who enables Christians to pray. I don't cite here Romans 8, where it speaks of the Spirit interceding for us, which I think has to do with this, but we read in Ephesians 6.18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And Jude 1.20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, <laughs> 
Uh, we could go on a long time with applications of this, but here's the main one. And this is what you must get and what I want you to get this evening. What are your spiritual, inward, subjective needs? Do you need help in prayer? Grace to maintain unity of the church. Help to love the brethren. Assurance of salvation. Help to be holy. Hope and joy in the darkness of this world. Power to serve God. Help in knowing the truth. Spiritual life in the midst of your felt deadness. Do you need a comforter, a counselor, a helper? Dear Christian, you have all these things in the Holy Spirit. And you must live in fellowship with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Paul blesses you with all these things when he says, May the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I wish I could sit down and talk with each one of you personally and say, Look, you don't have any spiritual needs. You don't have any internal needs that the Holy Spirit has not been given to answer for you. And you have to believe that. You have to understand it. You have to think that Paul meant you to do something with this text. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. All of these things, you see, are the inward operations of the Spirit of grace in the believer. They show the special role of the Spirit in salvation as the inward application of the benefits of salvation. Purchased by Christ on the cross for us, and that brings us to our second main point this evening. And that is the distinctive role of the third person in 2 Corinthians 13. I just want to compare here briefly the distinctive works of the three persons of the Trinity in our salvation. And I hope this will give you a clear perception of the distinctive work of the Holy Spirit. The Father is the author of our salvation. We might call him the architect of the building. The love of God the Father in our text is related to his work as the one who predestines us to adoption and elects us in Christ to salvation. We read in Ephesians 1, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. The Son is the accomplisher of our salvation. He is the one who, being sent by the Father, purchases our salvation as our Redeemer. Remember the great words of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was yet rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. If the Father is the architect... The Son is the builder of the house of our salvation. But the distinctive work of the Spirit is that He is the applier of salvation. He takes what is up there in God's decree and out there on Christ's cross and puts it in here for our salvation. He puts it inside of us. So if the Father is the architect and the Son is the builder of our salvation, what does that make the Holy Spirit, Jamie? I think it makes him the contractor, or something like that. He is the contractor who runs the electrical water li- electrical lines and the water lines and actually puts up the walls and partitions of the building in the house of our internal salvation. He brings to reality and fruition what the Father has planned and the Son has purchased. He is the spirit of life 
Romans 8, 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. But that brings us to the instructive order in which the third person is mentioned here in 2 Corinthians 13. I told you last week that I thought the reason the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ was mentioned first before the love of God the Father is that it's, is that is because it is through the grace of the Lord Jesus that we come to the Father's love. Now I want to say that I think there's a reason why the fellowship of the Holy Spirit comes last in this blessing. It is because we receive the Spirit as a result of the grace of Christ bringing us to the love of God the Father. We must be God's adopted sons before we can receive the spirit of adoption. Does that make sense to you? And so it certainly makes sense to me. And thus the work of Christ bringing us to God as Father must precede our experience of the life-giving power of the Spirit and the spirit of adoption. Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Because the Father elected us, and because the Son died for us, the Spirit comes to us and gives us life as regenerating Spirit, and then afterward assures us of that by being to us the Spirit of adoption, whereby we cry with his working in our heart, Abba, Father. But these thoughts lead us to some closing applications. And may God make them powerful to you. Because they certainly, these are things, brothers and sisters, I'm going to be completely, I live on these things. I couldn't live my life if I didn't believe what I'm telling you this evening. You need to believe it too. You need to believe it more than you do now. I do too. But there are three applications I want to mention to you by way of three questions. Who has the Holy Spirit? All God's people. Paul says, be with you all. All of you. The mature Christian and the immature Christian has the Spirit and availability of the Spirit. Both mature and immature are blessed with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The strong Christian and the weak Christian are blessed with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The believer, simply as a believer, has and may have the Holy Spirit. But then, how may you receive the Holy Spirit? How may you receive the Holy Spirit? You receive him by faith alone, through Christ alone, from your heavenly Father. Now, that may sound like some modern kind of 20th, 1st century antinomian kind of thing to say. Don't we have to fast and pray to get the Holy Spirit and, and, and just pray for years to have the Holy Spirit come to us? Isn't that what we're, we hear all around us? Yes, we do hear it all around us, and it's completely wrong and misleading. John Owen affirms the reception of the Spirit by faith alone in Christ alone and cites a key text to prove it. So this is not Sam Walter, this is John Owen. That which is of, that which is of 
gift, he says, is free. Of course, the Spirit is a gift. The Spirit of grace is given of grace. Hence, the Spirit is said to be received of the gospel and not by the law. And Owen cites here Galatians 3.2. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? How do you receive the Spirit? You have to wait three days, <laughs> pray and fast for three days. I'm not saying there's never a place for praying and fasting, but you know, most of the time life hits us too fast, and we, we need the Spirit too much and too immediately to be able to pray and fast, fast three days. In those times, you need to believe that the Spirit is received by faith in Christ alone, that Christ has purchased by His grace the Spirit of God for His people. And you need to rely on that and live with that and take it, take it to be truth. You need to live this way, brothers and sisters. You need to live this way, believing that you can have the Spirit of God. And all the multiplied ministries of which we spoke this evening, you can receive those things. They are yours, and they're yours by faith alone in Christ alone. As I said, there may be times to pray and fast when there are special times of need that we know are coming. But those prayers and that fasting do not merit the Spirit. He is still to be received by faith in Christ. And most of the time, life moves too fast. And our needs come upon us too swiftly to have the time to pray and fast for three days. And that is why, that is why we need to remember that we may have the Spirit and that we do have the Spirit. And that we may ask for the Spirit by free grace. Well... Third question, how should, the, how should you live the Christian life given these things? Given the multiplied ministries of the Holy Spirit that we've seen this, ending, this evening in my short list of 12 things, given that we have the Holy Spirit through the purchase of Jesus Christ, granted that we may have him by faith alone, in Christ alone, how should you live the Christian life? Let me tell you how you should live it with confidence in Jesus Christ, with confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit to face all of the spiritual challenges of life. There he sits on the throne. There the Messiah has been given the Spirit without measure. You are in him. You belong to him. He pours out the Spirit upon us. And so we read in Isaiah eleven two: the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You need any of those things? You may have them. They're in Jesus Christ. And you are in Jesus Christ. See in the Holy Spirit. This is what I hope I can implant in your hearts this evening. See in the Holy Spirit the solution to all your personal, spiritual, internal, and subjective needs. See in him all those things and receive him by faith alone in Christ alone. Well, one last word. Dear unbeliever here this evening, if you do not know the work of the Spirit, how helpless and comfortless you are. The terrible words I think of Jude and Peter perhaps are these of you. Devoid 
of the Spirit. Oh, my friend, go to Christ, pray for the forgiveness of your sins, and ask him to enliven your dead soul through the work of the Spirit of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the privilege of having once more proclaimed to us the great work of the triune God in our salvation. The Father authoring, the Son accomplishing, the Spirit coming to make all these things experiential, internal, inward, subjective realities to us. Oh, grant that he might come in power to do that for us. And for your people here this evening, grant that when they face trials and challenges, temptations, when they face all the things that life can throw at them, and feel themselves dead and weak and unable to respond to right, grant that they might come and on the basis of faith alone in Christ alone, plead for the measure of that Holy Spirit and the ministry of that Holy Spirit that you have promised. Grant, O Lord, for your people that the fellowship of the Holy Spirit would be with them all. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Preaching and Teaching, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS is a confessional Reformed Baptist seminary which provides affordable online theological education to help the church in its calling to train faithful men for the gospel ministry. To learn more, visit cbtseminary.org.